IATSE Local 212 represents over 1,000 artists, technicians, and craftspeople working in Southern Alberta's entertainment industry. In the screen industry, they service projects with budgets ranging from $100,000 to $100 million. Recent increases to local production volumes have led to increased outreach and training. They promote respectful workplaces, safety, fairness, and first-rate benefits for their members. Local 212 is open to partnering with other industry stakeholders on training and marketing initiatives. They offer an informative set etiquette course each month, which is open to all. To learn more about them, please check out their website at iatse212.com or like and follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Happy podcasting! I'm good. I'm good. Uh, welcome to the Alberta Filmmakers Podcast. Thanks, man. You too. Um, we are uh, busy as hell this week. And so yes. we don't even have time to run to one or the other person's house. Uh, but we're going to record uh, the intro and outro of the show here uh, on Skype, as we sometimes do. Um, but thanks for joining us, everybody, on the Alberta Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we, uh, you know, uh, take a look at the film, video, and digital media industries of Alberta and uh, try to give you some info and helpful tips and news and uh, useful dates and deadlines. Yes, it's super cool. And we have a great conversation uh, that gets a little more personal today than we normally do. Totally, so, yeah. This, yeah. Was, this is an interesting one. It's, uh, it's I mean, we, we, you know, we try not to make this show too much about us. We're very conscious of that. We want to put a spotlight on other filmmakers in the province, um, but occasionally, uh, you know, we, you know, we'll, we'll uh, share a conversation with someone who is very close in our working relationship. And uh, we have Kevin Dory, um, the screenwriter of our first film and our next film. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool conversation. I'm looking forward to sharing it. But first, uh, I want to tell you about the new Minister of Culture Multiculturalism for Alberta. Um, well, so as part of Canada, oh, this, right? this is Canada, right? Yeah. Oh yes, of course. So Melanie Jolie uh, is no longer in that seat, which I'm really sad about because mm-hmm. um, I thought she was she was quite good. Um, seemed like she was working really hard. Yeah, or it seems like she cared anyway. Uh, not that she wasn't working hard, but I know there was some controversy around her whole uh, how she handled the whole Netflix thing. But mm. um, yeah, I, I definitely got the impression that she really did care. Yeah. Um, but there's there was a federal cabinet shuffle. Uh, last week, and Pablo Rodriguez, Rodriguez, who was serving as chief government whip, was named the new Minister of Culture and Multiculturalism. He replaces Melanie Jolie, uh, who is now the Minister of Tourism, Official Languages, and La Francophonie. Oh, interesting. Um, um, that is, so, yeah, I mean, you know, governments shuffle all the time. and yeah. Is that a, do you think that's a demotion for Pablo? For her? No, oh. I don't know. Either, either way, I, I just feel I like know. isn't Whip a pretty like uh, important role? I don't, was isn't that like just like the Speaker of the House kind of the same thing? Yeah, maybe it is. I don't really know. I, <laughs> I just know. I just watch House of Cards, and then I assume that applies to Canada, and I'm sure it I, does not. Within the last two years, I certainly know more about uh, American politics and, and how their system works than I do Canada. Yeah, Canada. we've all been forced to out of fear uh, <laughs> in many ways. Self-preservation, yeah. Yes. Uh, new labor uh, agreement reached between DGC and the CMPA um, and the Teamsters, um, which is going to include increase some rates uh, for some of the unions here in Alberta. Um, the DGC... And the Canadian Media Producers Association have announced the conclusion of talks for a new labor agreement to come into force at the start of the new year. 
and the group's respective memberships will vote whether to ratify the agreement, details of which have not yet been released. But it sounds like we know that rates will be going up, which uh, is pretty common. Um, after totally, these, yeah, it's, uh, and, and great. Yeah. Uh, Telephone Canada is increasing their export assistance program. Um, uh, by increasing, of course, I mean the number of eligible countries, as well as doubling the maximum a single project can receive from uh, originally 45000 now it's $90,000. Uh, they've also added numerous events to the eligibility list for their international marketing program, which aims to assist producers and distributors with accessing further sources of investment. So that's super cool. Interesting. Um, yeah, I'm glad that they're kind of diversifying their, their pot a little bit. And, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super impressed with Telephone, uh, especially over the last two or three years. They seem to be really uh, working hard to be, uh, you know, on top of everything and and yeah. and um, modernizing as well. Which is yeah, great. exactly. Yes, and you know, becoming more relevant to um, you know current filmmaking current which changes yeah. all the time, right? I, totally. Like, I don't feel like I'm, <laughs> I don't feel like I'm old or anything, but like, man, even when we were in school, things have changed a lot. Um, when oh, it comes totally. to, yeah. Not just to technology, but just to the way. You know, people watch content and the way content's produced. So, exactly. um, yeah, that's cool. Scott, do you like clubbing? You know what? I used to a lot. You went, you went clubbing. You were a club, a club kid. Not, not, not really, but bar I, star? But I did. Yeah. Bar star. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, if you like clubbing, Scott, <laughs> I sure do. Matt. I sure do. <laughs> you're going to love the new CSIF <laughs> clubs. I may have something mixed up here, but I can tell you that there are several new clubs, um, available for, uh, you know, uh, CSIF members, um, which is a cool kind of new offering for CSIF members. It's always been something that kind of, uh, has existed. You know, the script club has been around for a long time, yeah. but, um, you know, the staff made a real push to like get started on some new clubs and encouraged the membership to, um, take the lead on a couple of new things. So, uh, we've got a list here of all of the new clubs that are coming up. And I think there's probably even more to come after that. But the first one, uh, is Madame's in Motion. MIM, uh, which is dedicated to inspiring, inciting, and connecting female identifying trans and non-binary filmmakers. MIM is intended for all levels of filmmakers, whether you've just uh, you're just getting your foot in the door or you've been here for a while. Uh, they're going to be meeting the first Thursday of every month, starting August second uh, at the CSIF. So that's pretty cool. Do you want to cool. do you want to back and forth these? Sure. Yeah. The, the other one is um, called Remaking a Scene, and it is CSIF's adaptation club. So they meet on the last Thursday of every month to recreate scenes from great movies. Uh, they'll use the flex space, which is the big room in the back, uh, and the CSX equipment. So it's an opportunity to put your filmmaking skills to the test. Uh, and that's that so starts, fun. that's super fun. Yeah, that starts at the end of August. So the fourth Thursday um, of August, and then the last Thursday of the month from there. Cool. VFX Club is going to be meeting at the, the Joyce on 4th to talk about visual effects uh, and everything uh, you, you, you know, you chat about around VFX and, uh, that world and uh, they'll be enjoying some delicious cold beverages while they do so and uh it's great for people who are just getting started or uh or maybe students or producers directors writers um or if you're just curious about how vfx work uh it's going to be the first monday of every month starting august 6th um, and this is uh, this is olaf's initiative right that's right yeah olaf's the leader of this club yes yeah so if you know i think anybody who has any interest in vfx not even doing the work but you know if you're a producer or director and you want to know how to work with them Olaf's a great guy to meet. Um, For sure. And so, yeah, you should definitely check that out. Yeah, and check out our uh, our episode from last season with him, two-parter with the Olaf. Olaf. Oh, yeah, that's right. One of our only two-parters. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, and the fourth one is called the Sound Club uh, for anyone interested in location sound, post-production sound, 
and how it can be applied to their work or films. And they meet the third Thursday every month. Uh, and that has already begun this month. So you'll have to wait till August's third Thursday to drop into that. Third Thursday of every month. Okay, cool. Alrighty. Well, uh, we've already kind of done the intro, um, and he's a man who needs no introduction. Um, but, uh, yeah, check out this conversation we had with Kevin Dory. They are, you got to hold them pretty close. Yeah. Try not, and try not to do too much handling noise. We don't normally record in this way. We usually have a stand, but we're, we're relaxed to paint a word picture for the audience. We're on couches I've the fireplace is roaring. You know, we've got uh, Cameron Chapman. Uh, you know, we've we've refilled the Dr Pepper. Was it Dr Pepper? It was Dr Pepper. Yeah. The, yeah. We the Dr Pepper supply is back. Um, oh, so. it's lovely. <laughs> it's lovely. It's eight at night. Yeah. Right. The roaring fire with your photo in it. That's right. Yeah. No, that's my brother. Actually, We're burning the past. My brother uh, came to stay with me, uh, and uh, I wasn't here. Where was I? I was in Nicaragua and he, he was staying at my place and he like moved a bunch of my shit around and put a picture of himself in my <laughs> fireplace that doesn't work. It's just an empty fireplace that I can't use. Uh, and so he put his picture in there and I've never moved it. it yeah, I like it there. Yeah, I like it there. Good. It's something to look at. Yeah. Um, but what I'm also looking at is Kevin uh, checking the notifications on his phone uh, next to his other phone. Yeah. Why do you have two phones? Uh, one's an iPod. Oh, I know. I, I know that's oh, okay. uh, an I was old like, man. To we've talked about have. this. No, and I agree with you. I think like it's an iPod Touch, right? It's an iPod Touch. I think that's great. Just for the car kind of thing. My car stereo. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because I thought maybe it was a burner phone, which which fits with the scripts that you write. Like every, <laughs> yeah, every, totally, every, totally, every character yeah. has a burner phone in your script. Right, what you know. That's right. Right, yeah. what you know. No, no, it's actually that is well. That's the one that I replaced after my got stolen the other day. But those replaced. Do you remember the old classic with the dial on it? Yeah. Yeah, I had a 160 gig one of those and it just stopped working one day and it was the saddest day of my life. Oh, uh, yeah. They're, don't they still sell them? No. Yeah, I mean, you can find them on eBay and stuff. But I thought they still made like the original. No. No? Huh, okay. Yeah. They did for a long time. They hung on to it for a long time. Like the, not, not original, original, but when they kind of perfected it. Anyway. Yeah, I love that. Um, iPod Touch. Yeah. Do they still sell those? They still sell those. Well, yeah, yeah, I just bought, bought it. Mine bought got it. stolen oh, just bought, like oh, two okay. weeks ago. Oh, okay, cool. Hmm. Yeah. Also, a common theme in your writing is theft mm, yes and bad criminals bad shit happening to yes. good or bad or worse people mm-hmm. yes why do you hate people so much <laughs> i have been a bartender <laughs> right. said, yeah. for many years <laughs> and i've seen the very dark side of people i see the happy smiling face when they come in and then about two hours later i see the dark side so and right. you, you honestly do believe that that has colored your impression absolutely yeah Absolutely. Yeah. Lots of people that I thought I liked, I learned that I really didn't like who they really were. And I'm not saying that alcohol makes people the person they are, but when you see the the things that people say and do, it, it right. changes your mind a little bit. That's, that's, that's a question that I think a lot of people uh, have, which is has nothing to do with screenwriting, but uh, or maybe it does, it is... is when someone is drunk, is that reveal revealing who they are or no? I don't know. That's, I don't know. Cause I know happy drunks as well. Right. And I think a lot of times that's an artificial joy. It's just, I have no stress. I've had a few drinks. I've forgotten my problems. Right. I don't know if that makes it the real them, but just listening to people, listening to people talk when they don't think you're able to hear them 
after they've had a few drinks, <laughs> right. it's, it's become pretty difficult sometimes. Gotcha, gotcha. When I first moved back here from Vancouver, which is a very multicultural city and very open to alternative lifestyles and stuff, you know, you don't think twice about things. And when I first moved back here, listening to people at the bar again, not when they were aware I was listening, right? I just was like, "Who are you people? Where did you come huh. from?" So yeah, what are I mean? What a great job for a screenwriter because you, mm-hmm. you get this window into humanity that, uh, especially when they think they can't be heard, that's yeah. uh, very I, I imagine very useful. Yeah, yeah, and it's not just the customers; it's many entertaining people I've worked with too. So. Right, of course, <laughs> fair yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah. So, what is your favorite drink to make? What is my favorite drink to make? If someone says, I'll have a gin and tonic, you say, yay. You know. <laughs> Sounds like you. You know. To get excited. I don't know if I have a favorite drink to make, but I have a, a, a lot of respect for the basics. The favorite bar I've ever been to as a customer, I was in California one time, and um, there was this like cinder, cinder block building, just this gray cinder block building, totally innocuous from the outside. And every night of the week, it was a different bar. So if you wanted uh, to be a bar owner on Monday you could lease the place out for like six months of Mondays and you would buy a vinyl banner and put it up on the inside wall and it would say Scott's place on Monday and you could Sweet. be a dance club or whatever it would be so <laughs> my friend and I had drove to Calif- driven to California and we went there on a Tuesday and it was um, hair metal night oh cool and so they had the rig banner up on the, on the on the wall and you went to the bar there were two portable bars it was a two level bar one upstairs one downstairs and you could buy rye, rum, vodka, or gin. You could buy shots of tequila or Jack Daniels. And you could buy Miller Lite or Budweiser in a bottle. And that's it. And you <laughs> wow. didn't, you drank your beer out of the bottle, obviously. And there was no draft. And your highballs came in those plastic crunchy cups. So when you were done, you just crunched it and threw it in the garbage. So the basics. I love the basics. Because <laughs> like now everything, you know, everything is targeted towards the younger demographic. So all vodkas taste like something else, like fruit or like candy or like cake. And <gasps> Delicious. Maple whiskey. So <gasps> that sounds so good. Yeah. I have some peanut butter and jelly vodka. Uh, oh, any- really? <laughs> all right. Anyway, God is in heaven. Once upon a that time when so you fun. had a shot of whiskey, you tasted whiskey. whiskey. Now yeah, it's, right. it's candy coated right, right. to make it more palatable. So right. um, there are drinks that I don't like to make, but we won't get into that just in case. So just something on the rocks. Yeah, or old fashioned. So I haven't drank for a long time. Right. And when I did drink, I was a like a, a bourbon guy. Bourbon. Start with like a double or triple bourbon and a little bit of coke, and then eventually just the bourbon. Okay. So, tell me about um, when screen like when screenwriting began for you. What was the? So it was a really gradual entry into things. I'm not a a trained screenwriter as such. Um, I've always been a movie fan and you're the biggest movie fan. I know one year I let slip to my girlfriend that, you know, I think I'd like to give a shot to trying to write a movie. And then that year for Christmas, I got final draft for Christmas. Um, And I probably took it out of the box right away and was totally intimidated by it and didn't do anything. And then um, I just quit a job and I was like, okay, I don't have a job. I have nothing but free time going to do this so i sat down and started getting into it and um and so what's like so you sit down you've opened final draft you've got some you've got all this free time yep what are you writing what were you going so like what like what every, were you trying to do everyone's heard the write what you know thing 
Right. So the first few things I wrote were not directly taken from personal experience, but um, I had one, oddly enough, set in a bar. And uh, <laughs> right. and I'd some experiences I had in Vancouver, I, I kind of tried to fictionalize and 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 combine and and um, yeah, just it's weird because the first few things I did were very like personal dramas and stuff, which is so far from <laughs> where things are nowadays. Right. But uh, yeah, I, I had all this free time and I would spend seriously the, when I first decided this is, I'm going to give this an honest shot. I would be at my desk for like 12, 14 hours. It drove my girlfriend nuts. Right. I would just be there. I'd like bang out 20 pages, of course, go back the next day and read it. And it would mostly be terrible. But um, I figured if I'm going to do this, I got to, I got to find some direction. So I took a couple of, um, screenwriting workshops with um, Jason Long. Um, I took a screenwriting workshop in Phoenix from Gordy Hoffman, who was Philip Seymour Hoffman, or is Philip Seymour Hoffman's brother, um, and just kept, you know, putting in the hours at the desk. I, I'm, I've never read the Malcolm Gladwell book about putting 10,000 hours in, but basically that's what I was doing. I was just like, okay, I, I know I'm terrible at this, but I'm going to do this. And then I started putting stuff out on, there used to be a website, um, Kevin Spacey's production company had oh, right. called oh, yeah. Trigger Street. Right. right. Yeah, and yeah, you, yeah. what you used to do is you would um, sign up and you would review other people's scripts, give notes on other people's scripts. And once you're given notes on five scripts, you could upload your script mm. and get it reviewed. Oh, and they cool. had a weekly ranking of like the top 10 ranking or scripts read from this week from all our, our readers and reviewers and stuff cool. like that. And you'd get notes, which weren't always helpful notes. Because I'm sure. You know, not everyone's constructive. A lot of people want to tear you down to make themselves feel better. But, right, right. Um, but still, it was pretty, pretty uh, helpful. And then I entered into one of my screenplays into um, um, the fellowship pra- or the Praxis Fellowship Program. Mm-hmm. They take uh, scripts from Canadian writers and award. Uh, at the year I was in, eight fellowships uh, to Canadian writers to come out to a workshop and, and develop the screenplays. And look, it was the first year I'd entered, and magically I got selected. So I got to go out and do a, a workshop there and that was very helpful. And yeah. how many, how many feature length screenplays did you have when you entered? Praxis? When I entered? Well, like under your belt, cause uh, you're um, up to seven or eight now. Or, yeah. You know? th- cause that was plain view. Um, right. so that was probably, that was probably four or five, like feature number four or five. Yeah. But the audience should know you're, you're a bit of a unicorn when it comes to, the speed at which you write uh, because getting to the first feature is a, is a massive milestone for most writers and you have many okay. and you write a lot. A lot some, like some writers can't write for weeks. Like, yeah, like you don't have that problem. No, the problem I have is I think I have a very short attention span. Right. Um, and that's why that would have been four or five at that point. Right. Um, I, but, okay. I'd written a few things and they were feature length. And as far as I was concerned, they were complete stories with arcs and stuff like that. If we went back and looked at them now, <laughs> they would be 90 pages, but they, they might not feel like, you know, what I felt they were at the time. Right, of course. Yeah. So going to doing things like going to the workshops with, with Jason and with Gordy Hoffman and stuff like that kind of helped me understand what constituted a complete story, comp- constituted, you know, a beginning, middle and end a little better. So Praxis, so Plainview, I think Plainview was the second one I felt pretty maybe naively confident about. Right. I'd, I'd written another one, I think it was called Blindspot, that I'd submitted to a few other like online 
screenwriting competitions and stuff like that. Um, but when I found out about Praxis, I was like, okay, I'm not going to enter anything into this until I feel pretty confident that people are going to pick it up and not put it down at page three. Right. And like I said, like I never expected to get in the first time I applied and it was, it was pretty cool and it was a great experience. Yeah. And, and, and a pretty uh, uh, well-known program, pretty well prestigious yeah. is, yeah, is yeah. maybe the word. Yeah. 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 They, uh, like they, one of the co-creators of Robocop was your mentor. Yeah. Michael Miner, who, yeah. who co-wrote the first um, Robocop in the eighties, he was my mentor. So um, the most knowledgeable human being I possibly have ever met. He was oh, so really? smart about so many things. Yeah, we had a, a a dinner the first or second night of the, the the workshop program where all the mentors and all the writers and the coordinator of the program had had supper together and man he he held court like I bet, yeah. didn't matter what the discussion was he was on top of it. it was pretty cool <laughs> and and a very in in not not an asshole kind of way oh no not at all oh cool no no he was he's he was great I mean working with him was a huge challenge but. Um, yeah, he because he challenged you or oh yeah, yeah. wow well. so the first day i sat down with him um we have an eight-hour day so we meet at my hotel just in and, the and lobby. this is in vancouver in, in person like not yeah yeah, yeah cool. it's all yeah it's all it was always in person yeah so the first day we meet in the lobby in my hotel he's like okay the first half of the day i'd just like to kind of get to know who you are get to know what your um relationship with movies is um you know where you're coming at where you're coming from in terms of um why you appreciate you know this craft blah 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 um and then the second half of the first day uh we sat down in like a not a boardroom but a room just with the two of us and uh yeah he took his binder out that had my script in it and i've never seen so much ink on on pages in my life <laughs> oh, god that would be terrifying no no and i still have it i kept yeah. it oh man good, oh, yeah. good like every single page not just a few notes here and there, like notes in the margin, notes in the line, yeah, yeah, yeah. red you marks. You really in put the, in the work. Oh, every single page. I think at that time, I think it was 106 pages and there was probably 106 pages of notes on it. Like if you took his notes <laughs> right, on the page. Right, right. Yeah, but, but it was great because, you know, he helped you understand um, if something was working. Okay, this is really working well. Do you understand why it's working? And right, so it wasn't right. all like criticism. It oh, was like, no, there was some thoughts. of that too. Yeah, of course. But yeah, no, it was very constructive. He'd been a mentor for a number of years in, the, in that program before. Yeah. It sounds like he, he has a system. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, no, it was, it, it was a little overwhelming, but yeah, I can't imagine having a better experience at that stage of, of dare I say my career. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was, it was intense and in a good way. Can, and then, can, can you try to distill some of the things that you that you kind of came away with out of that workshop? Just like you know, things you'd learned or a, a new kind of outlook on the, the from process? from Michael yeah. from the sitting down. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It, you know, again, this is this is a number of years ago now. Like this, we shot in twenty sixteen. This was in two thousand eleven, and it had wow. So it, it was five years before we ended up doing anything with it. So I'd had lots of time to have things. Uh, distill even after that but at the time yeah just understanding you know this person is 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 doing this why is this person doing this um is it something that we know about from the actions we've seen previously in the script is this something that's off the page that maybe to understand the way they're behaving on the screen we need to see in the page so it translates better so we understand the motivation it's not just something that's your in your head and we've run into that too with sure things sometimes he explained to me that sometimes you know exactly what's going on, but 
that's because the whole world is in your head. Lives in so your head, yeah. You understand. If it's not context. on the page, the audience yeah, can't. Yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah. sometimes if it's not, I mean, sometimes we buy things at face value, but sometimes, if, especially if something goes against the way we would be doing things, it helps to understand why this person is doing something that we would never do or, or right. do yeah. differently. Okay. Um, and, you know, I always have a, had a big picture image of what the story was, but there's, you know, it's not just one character story. There's other people whose lives are, are progressing in the same story as your, as your main character. And just making sure that those people just don't feel like placeholders and, um, right. Plot and devices people, and plot devices and stuff like that. So, I mean, there's no, there's honestly no way I could have taken everything away from that, that he was conveying to me. Right. Because it was just, like I said, it was 106 pages of constant barrage of notes. But if I took away 10 or 25% of what he he was trying to get across to me, like I was way ahead of the game right, compared right. to where I had been. So, right. Yeah, he was great. It was great. Cool. And then the second half of that program was you went away for a number of months. You did another draft. You resubmitted. And not all, but most of the, the uh, screenplays came back and they did a table read for telefilm and various other producers and stuff like that. So you got to see your, your script written or read by professional actors, uh, like people I had seen on TV and in film before were part of the table. Awesome. So yeah, yeah, so it was a good experience. Very cool. Yeah. It was awesome. Who is it? Who, who's behind Praxis? So it used to be an SFU program. Okay. Um, I think 2013 or 2014 was last year was SFU. And then the program got taken over or merged with the Whistler film festival. Oh. So now it takes place concurrent with the, the film festival cool. Yeah. cool but a lot of the same um mentors are there michael was there in the la- one one of the last two years as well there's another canadian writer arnie olson who did uh the repeaters oh. and a few other things he was one of the mentors that's been going back and sweet again and again yeah it's great so this is this is a common theme of ours when we when we chat is you'll you'll pull a name that I've never heard of. I'm not, you know, this happens all the time with all sorts of names. And then you'll mention three or four movies that they that they wrote or that they starred in that I've also never heard of. <laughs> and uh, and it wasn't until you know later on after after I met you um, that I realized that uh, holy shit, this guy really does watch a movie every day. Is it is that is that your plan to watch a movie every day? Because you watch a movie every day not quite every day <laughs> but you watch Mo- most you days. watch you, you watch, watch two, two on weekends so you, you watch 360 days. movies a year i watched 331 last year 331 movies in a, in a year i had seen five of them before so only 326 <laughs> were new to me what are the repeats uh i got some go-to stuff that i i go back to um i'm a huge fincher fan so of course i will watch uh zodiac or right. uh seven or something like that again panic That's, room I do like Panic Room. I, I like Panic Room too. People forget about Panic Room. It's got a great credit sequence. I'll give it that. That it does. Um, Where, that, so that obviously was, did, was that a thing before you were writing? What's that? Watching a movie every day? Sure, okay, not I, every day. I always day. watched a lot of movies, but it's become a much bigger thing. About, I want to say, eight or 10 years ago, I thought, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna try and watch 250 movies this year. So before that, I probably watched two or three a week. So like 100, 150 before that. And then I thought, I'm going to try and hit 250. I think I read, do you guys know, what's his name? Daniel Waters. No. He's a writer, director, Heathers and stuff like okay, that. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Anyways, oh, yeah, every, yeah, yeah. every year at the end of the year, he puts out his list of what he's watched. And oh. it's, 
ridiculous. There's, I don't know how this guy has a life. So I, I read about him or someone like that, about how they watch that, that many. And I'm like, I'm going to try and hit 250. And every year since then, I've, eight to 10 years ago. Yeah. Oh my God. And so, you have like, like you have a bunch of criteria. Like I've never been to your house, but I assume there are DVD, like walls there are, of there DVDs, are DVDs everywhere. Criterion not, collection. Not so much anymore. Not, well, last time but, I was there. But like, yeah. yeah. I remember we were in Toronto together and you had, you just, you had gained access to like some. Filmstruck. S- filmstruck, right. Which I'd never heard of. <laughs> but like, I felt bad for not hearing about it because it seemed like it was but this gold rush to you. It, it was. I was so excited. Yeah, yeah. And I've had, since had to stop subscribing because I can't get access to it because it's an American thing. I Anyways. See. Yeah. So. I mean, DVDs aren't as much of a thing anymore, right? Like no, true, true. years ago, well, not years ago, like four or five years ago when Best Buy used to have a huge DVD section store, I would go every Tuesday on release day and buy new DVD day, six, eight DVDs, whatever. Uh, I'm so jealous of that. I remember like, like Kevin Smith does this as yeah. well. And, and he talks about it on his podcast. He, he just buys everything new, uh, everything uh, new that came out on Tuesday. He buys it all. I wasn't that bad, but if I had seen it and liked it, I would buy it so I could watch it again. And <laughs> but it was something wouldn't, though. What's that? Well, you wouldn't watch it again though. Uh, um, if you only watched five repeats. Yeah. So it's more about having the ability no, to know, like I know I could watch that again. if Right. I want to. Another thing with DVD, and I, I don't know if you guys are into this, but DVDs had great special features. Like, oh, yeah. oh yeah, of course. Director's yeah, commentary. Yeah, like yeah. I don't if I watch it with the director's commentary, that I don't count that as watching it. Okay, but would that count as your daily movie? No, but I wouldn't. I, I, <laughs> oh my hold god! On, hold on. But I, I might not watch the whole thing. I might watch the sure, director's commentary sure, over a, three days. Okay, fair enough. Right. right so right. Fair yeah. Enough. So. Um, I want. I want to watch. Like I like. I still want to buy uh, Infinity War on Blu-ray because of the special yeah. features that I assume are there. I don't know if there are any, but but that's the thing. Like so many things have such limited releases on DVD now. Like because things aren't streaming so readily, those things don't exist to the same extent they did before. Right. Do you remember Infinifilm? Yeah. And it wasn't that big a thing, I don't think. But yeah. Austin Powers in Gold Member. Yeah, yeah. I did have, it. I have that. DVD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And 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 it was it was it was the just, trivia track. Yeah, it was pop up oh, yeah. video for, for yeah for movies. <laughs> and and you could jump into a specific highlight reel or back yeah. or behind the, the scenes, scenes about this particular movie. Oh yeah, I love it. I so love did I. it. I love it. But even the director's commentary or who, the director and cast or the screenwriter or whoever, like to me, especially before before I was ever involved in the actual making of TV and film at whatever level, like that was, that was filmmaking to me, listening to these guys describe how, you know, they did this and them showing you in the, in the behind the scenes thing, like, this is how we did this. And you're like, there's no way I would have thought that's right, how that right. happened. Yeah. Like even now, like you guys work in film and TV, like you watch things on set and you're, and, and you're like, where is this going? And we're like, what's this going to look like? And then you watch it and you're like, well, that's what they're, that's right, what right. that was all about. Like, <laughs> Just the small nuggets of information you get from stuff like that just turns on light bulbs and stuff. So, and also, you know, listening to directors talk about on their director director's commentary about the reasons behind what they did, whether in a visual sense or in a storytelling sense. Like those things are gold, as far mm-hmm. as I'm concerned. You learn totally. what to do, and you also learn what not to do, which is pretty much just as important. Absolutely. I, I mean, yeah, I remember being in film school and, and, and everyone being such snobs about only wanting to watch good movies. Like, Oh, should I, is it worth my time as a, as a film student? Am I, is it, is it worthy of my, and it's like, I'll, I'll watch a shitty movie because it'll teach me what not to do. I, I, I love watching bad movies. So if you start something, do you always finish it? 
I used to back in back at that in in in, in that stage of my life I would. Um, series are so popular now that I I'll go two or three episodes in and not finish it. But normally, if I start a movie, I'll finish it. But it doesn't always happen anymore. What about you? Um, I give up pretty easily. Not in movies though. I can't think of a movie that I stopped watching in recent memory. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I. I don't think I really watch movies by myself though. I'm always with Briar. Mm, fair enough. And and she's the one who's like, this is something you because she's plugged in and I'm not right. So she's like, oh, there's a new Avengers movie coming out. I'm like, oh, let's go see it. Not Avengers, but you know, she directs my content, which is cool because now I don't have to think about it. Yeah. And, Call and, me by your name. I didn't finish. I started really. Yeah. Oh, Manchester was, by the Sea. I also I didn't finish. Dude, I actually just started Manchester by oh. the Sea recently, and I, and I, I want to finish it, but I was like, when is this movie starting? It's like uh, dude, thirty oh. minutes in, and oh, like I have so many problems with that movie. Anyway, <laughs> it doesn't start. It's so soul crushing. Oh uh, yeah, well, but it's uh, that's what I hear. But, it's, but it's soul crushing. Uh, but there's there's moments of levity that work so well because. You know, characters where things happen to them, like things happen in that movie. If you don't have a moment of levity, you're just gonna slit your wrist. Like you right, right. have to, in order to go on, there's got to be a light <laughs> somewhere along well, the that, line like, in the that, darkness. And that is the only thing that makes me want to watch it is that it is apparently so brutally hard. Yes, dark I, I or saw. Sad. I there there's a specific section that is that, and right. I I got through that section, and then it was just like. eh. Are you guys Kenneth Lonergan fans? Have you watched his other stuff? Like you can count on me and so if you're Margaret. listening, this is every conversation. This is where it's yeah. Yeah. no, okay. but you've seen all of his films. Uh, I think so. Yeah, and and I like them all. Um, <laughs> that was a joke, but yeah, Margaret, but yeah. Margaret's a, a bit of a mess. But um, see, I how do you how do you remember all this shit? Oh, I don't. Don't. I worry. can't remember. There's... You know, I don't even remember the most recent movie that I saw. <laughs> I don't even know what the movie was. Like, I can't even say to remember that. Like, how do you re- like? You, you don't remember the last movie you saw? No. Do you remember the last movie you saw? Yes. What was it? It was the 1997 remake of Twelve Angry Men. Oh, did you like it? It was. Have you seen the original? Yes. Yeah. See, I watched them back to back. I watched oh, Twelve Angry Men. Well, and, like, so, so it didn't pale by comparison at all. <laughs> like, it's so brutal because they're trying to shoehorn it into. Like stick to the original script, but also make it modern for 1997. Which is, yeah. But goddamn, the cast in the 97 version is like yeah. heavy hitters, like yeah. pretty incredible people. Um, but holy shit, the 57, the original version is isn't it a monster? What a film! I uh, hadn't seen it till I don't know two, three, maybe four years ago. Yeah, and a lot of times with old stuff. Although I do like a lot of old stuff, but you know things have certain expectations, and and things were done differently then. Like for sure, for people. Sure acted differently yep, then yeah so people a lot of people don't like going back and watching old movies because it just doesn't doesn't work for them but you cannot watch that and not be like holy shit like it's pretty <laughs> yeah. powerful stuff unreal yeah and it, yeah it's and i mean maybe maybe the reason it holds up is because it's just one room it's, yeah. it's like and it doesn't have to worry about effects or any any of that stuff yeah and it, it but it's like that puts so much pressure on the performers to really perform and incredibly so uh in in kind of in both versions I, I think it's the script was the problem like trying to modernize something and it was for tv yeah yeah uh it's it's got some really awkward moments and tony danza unfortunately is not one of the better performers in that <laughs> um i can see why they thought it was a good like this guy will be great for the the role of the, that it used to be and it's like it just, just uh, not did not work he felt really weird um anyway we've established you watch a lot of movies yeah <laughs> You also review them every every time you watch them. Generally, yes. This is a there social will be media. exceptions. Yes. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. 
which causes me no end of grief. <laughs> well, and it's, sure. to me, it's because you know it's always a three or a three and yeah, a half. Well, and when we say review, these are you. They used sentence, to be need to contain. I within still try and say to one forty, one hundred and forty yeah, characters on Twitter, and, and it's and it's maddening to me. Um, in, in, but but in a in a way that I really respect is because you can watch you know a, a garbage movie, um, that I would. I would perceive to be garbage and, and you just find things that you can love about it. And, and so that maybe is a two. And then you watch something like, you know, the best movie ever made, um, return of the King, 12 angry men, which you've never seen, which return of the King. Is that the first one? That's the, (laughs) anyway, no, it's the one that won 11 Oscars. Oh, it's the third one. What's the first one? Fellowship oh of the Ring. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, another example. Anyway, you'll see Fight Club, and you'll be like, "I thought oh, you were you joking. Know, you knew he hadn't." Seen I know he hasn't. How have you not seen, seen, it? seen the first one? Wow, unreal. I, and I've seen none of the Hobbit. Oh. That's that's okay. They weren't. They weren't. Yeah, the anyway, so yes. but come on. I mean, I I know I watch a very wide spectrum of things, but there's some things that just aren't your bag, right? Like, there's got to be some totally, genre but, that you don't watch. Uh, sure, but I mean, I like. So, so you is, wa- do you watch foreign films? Yeah, not as much as I'd like to. Yeah. Do you? But you're you're fine reading subtitles and stuff like I know oh, people course, who yeah. refuse to watch foreign oh, yeah. films. Well, they I, won't I, so yeah. read I, subtitles. I understand that. Uh, I, I don't agree. But with But fantasy is just not my thing. Like sure, sure, sure. Um, okay. Gladiator is probably the only movie in the last 10, 12 years of that genre that I saw and liked. Hmm. Like, and it's not just, fantasy stuff in general is really tough. Like, I know it's not the same thing, but it's like Harry Potter. There's <gasps> oh my god, so good. Eight, eight. Yeah, I don't know. Eight. is it eight? I saw eight. one. Well, you saw, okay, they don't really get good till the fourth one, though. <laughs> anyway, anyway, let's move on. How, how does watching a movie every day, I know it's not every day, it's every day, how, does, how do you think it's benefited you as a screenwriter, and how, how do you think it's been detrimental to you as a screenwriter? Mm. Um, well, I mean, those two sometimes overlap, because you see so many good ideas, and you're like, that's a great idea, but I can't. You know, you don't want to copy things. Mm. So you keep the 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 mechanics of how things have worked. You try to keep that in the front of your brain for maybe using the same type of thing. Um, the problem for me is as, as, as time has gone by and the number of movies I've watched increases, the things I like instead of becoming broader seem to have become more focused. And I think a lot of the movies I like that I know a lot of other people don't care for I'm going to give another example. Have you seen Patterson? No, but I, I've heard about it. So Adam Driver plays a bus driver yeah. in named Patterson in Patterson, New Jersey. Anyways, and it's who's, just, who's the director? It's like a uh, Jim J- Jim Jarmusch, right? And um, it's basically like Adam Driver going through his daily life, driving the bus, talking to his wife, talking to the guys at the bar he hangs out, and it's talking to a poetry fan that he meets in this park in Patterson, New Jersey. And it's a series of conversations. Like some people just think, why would you watch that? Like right, nothing's right. going on, but right. that kind of stuff really for me, if it's done right, I could sit and watch that all day. Totally. Um, what was, uh, we were talking about bad movies the other day and I don't know if you guys have seen the Hitman's bodyguard. Yes. So two guys that I really think are fun to watch, maybe not great actor actors, but are fun to watch. So Ryan Reynolds and Sam Jackson, and there were a few scenes in that movie, which I really didn't like the movie, but there were a few scenes in there. And I'm thinking if they would have just shot these guys sitting in a car talking for right. two hours would have been fantastic. <laughs> so that's, that's why right. I have a love for dialogue a lot of the time, because mm-hmm. to me, if you have two interesting people talking, that can be very interesting. Of course. Um, uh, growing up, 
watching movies in the 90s that were of a certain stripe. There was a director named John Dahl, who I think that now does a, a lot of TV as opposed to film stuff, had movies like Red Rock West, uh, The Last Seduction, and they were these noir pretty low-budget things. But the characters in them just popped off the page. And to me, that's what keeps me engaged. Like, plot is great, but a lot of times, and not to hack on Avengers movies, but you watch something like an Avengers movie, and the plot is so labyrinthian, you're like... I can't remember what happened right. two hours and seven minutes ago that I know I'm supposed to know now. So right. I know this scene is important. Right. So if it's a thing where people are talking in these interesting conversations and their characters who pop, those are the things that really nail me to my seat. I want to watch. Right. And I think that kind of stuff has slipped through into what I do. Yeah. So oh, totally. That's a good thing and a bad thing. Right. So you're so, your vocabulary of film, of, you know, my storytelling is, is massive, which means that, um, this is something that we've talked about to you. What I would consider to be a pretty fresh trope feels like a cliche. Yeah, and it also it causes problems with language and stuff too, because things we've run into where I use terms of phrase that I think everybody knows because they've been in these movies I used to watch. Right, and you guys like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> yeah, or and I'm yeah. sure you're not the only ones. Like, right. there's yeah, right. no way. Right. So yeah, it's I think watching that movies is good and bad for my writing and also for my viewing because I, I just my brain turns off on some things when right. I know where things are going. Sure. Not necessarily plot-wise, but I know who these people are and why they're going to do these things and the mistakes they're going to make. And I mean, there are some things that are pretty formulas, so you kind of shut off. But right. Whatever. I still, if I start something, I'll watch something. I will not return. Oh, okay. Everyone, I know that your brains are just uh, loving this encyclopedic knowledge of uh, films and filmmaking from Kevin Dory um, and digging into his strange world. Um, but I want to take a, just a quick second to tell you about the Calgary Film Centre. Uh, they are a world-class screen-based production facility, suitably equipped and serviced so that you can execute your next project with ease. They have 50,000 square feet of purpose-built sound stages, and they also have 25,000 25, square feet of multi-purpose warehouse and workshop spaces, all of this complemented by their anchor tenant, William F. White, who is Canada's oldest and largest provider of professional motion picture, television, digital media, and theatrical production equipment. At the Film Centre, their aim is to deliver production support for local, national, and international screen industry projects in a purpose-built venue designed to service individual client needs. And of course, they deliver programs to engage and support innovation and excellence in the film and television industry. Strongly encourage you to find out more at calgaryfilmcenter.com. And now let's get back to our conversation with Kevin. Uh, so ignoring the fact that the producer and the director of the first film that you've written that was actually produced are the people you're talking to. Just pretend they're not. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what was it like to have your first feature film script actually go into production? It was both wonderful and terrifying. Right. Um, so it was a, a long road to start with. So uh, I've, I've read before that the average script to production path is about six or seven years for most things that get right. made. Yep. And this was very similar. This was, I think I started this script either in late 2010 or early 2011. So when we shot in 16, it was six years. So it had been through so many iterations of the script, like the pre-praxis part the praxis between uh, workshop and reading, the post-praxis. I hooked up with a, a writer-director team to possibly uh, submit it to um, 
features first and then made a bad mistake and dropped them and went with someone else who had it for 18 months and that didn't happen and then got hooked up with you guys. So there were so many ups and downs with it. I'm sure it, at at least one point I was like, well, this is never going to get made. And granted, in the time that those six years went past, I probably wrote three other things too. Right, so, of course. Um, but when we found out that we were going to make the movie, like whoever phoned me or emailed me and let... You let me know, dude. I got a text from you saying... Oh, did I? So what happens now? And I was like, what are you talking about? Oh, so you must have <laughs> yeah. told me. No, and you texted no, me you too. Found, you you found, how did I find out? You, you, found, you were all oh, on the net. The press That's release. That's right. Yeah. I found the press release. Uh, so when I saw that press release, I remember sitting... I don't I don't remember getting the press release and calling you guys, but I remember looking at that press release the first time. I, I probably thought that... Remember that one of you guys told me about it. But anyways, I remember sitting at my desk and looking at that press release and both feeling uplifted and feeling a weight on my shoulders right. at the same time. Cause you're like, we get to make a movie. And then you're like, now we have to make a movie <laughs> because yeah. having been, you know, work, you know, whatever crew jobs on whatever TV shows and films and web series and whatever, like, you know, just watching the things going on around you, how huge of an undertaking it is, right. but it's so exciting and you're gung ho and then you get beaten down and then you're gung ho again. So it was fantastic. You know, we had a lot of work to do getting it even, even after we found out we were going to make it the script, when we found out we were going to make it and the script that we shot are, you know, very hugely different. For sure. Um, and, and, and that's what what was that like writing a movie that actually had to get made for a tiny little budget? Cause like when you're writing sky's the limit. So I remember thinking that I didn't know if we were going to be able to get it to where we wanted. Like we were, what did we end up cutting? Like 15 pages in that last draft? It's a lot. And I remember being concerned about being able to tell the same story with 20% less time, pages, etc. Um, but once I got into it and once you realize where there's a little bit of fat and where there's stuff that is so much fun to read and so much fun, but you know, if it came out, it wouldn't make any difference to the story. Right. Um, that was okay for most of the process until we got down to the very last little bit of nitty gritty and you're like, okay, you know, we got this many days, we got this many dollars and I had to take out the one scene where I was like, I don't want to let that go. Yeah. This is the kitchen yeah. scene? Yeah, the kitchen scene. So, Oh my God, I love that scene and so it's a much. Great scene. And to put it in context as much as I can, like there was a scene, I'd done the, the, the four hour day with Michael Miner and another eight hour day with Michael Miner. And halfway through the eight hour day, the second day, he was like, you know, it's a really important part here. Um, the, the journey's changing from this to this. We're switching locations. The movie's taking a real turn here. We need something to, to anchor that, that turn. My challenge for you tonight is to go write a new scene. That's going to take us where we need to go. Oh, so, so, that was the scene. so, so I went up to my hotel room and just sat at the desk and stared out the window for like hours. I don't even know if I went for supper. I was like, oh, I can't let Michael Miner down. <laughs> and and I wrote that scene that took place in the kitchen of the of the. And it was a, it was this brutal interrogation scene where they throw this guy's hand in the deep fryer. So great and, and so it was brutal and wonderful. And, as with most yeah. of your writing, you can so see what's happening. You know, as you've written it, visceral for sure. Yeah. And, and we're cutting down and we're cutting down and I'm leaving that in and I'm leaving that in and. I don't know which one of you guys told me. It was probably you. I, I had to be the bad guy You're for like, the most part, yeah. 
you know that's got to go right <laughs> it's and it was like it was because you put a somebody's hand in a fryer right yeah. and that and as awesome as that is oh and it I was also i mean so it, was, uh, it was a new location a Different kitchen yeah, specifically yeah. that yeah. we would had to yeah i i mean yeah. rationally i totally understood but emotionally i was like that can't of go. course of course anyways so well and if i if i can chime in i don't know if this is valuable or not but like the the relationship between you and i uh was i i think overall so like i got so lucky and i'm so lucky that we're both so lucky that you're so reasonable about making changes and understanding the budget and uh, and not all writers are are that way and and obviously you don't want to go too far in that direction and i i think i pushed it a little too far uh when we were shooting uh a scene with with our two bad guys driving around and, and there's this great monologue from lupus and uh, and you just in your head it was at night, and we had kind of wrapped up a piece of the day early, and we would have to wait for nightfall before we could shoot the rest the, the these additional pages. And I was like, well, let's just shoot now. What? Why does it have to be at night? And uh, and that was the one time where <laughs> I could see I was breaking your heart. Yeah, but on the day, I'm sure I had some kind of reaction in that manner. No, but you you were never like no, but but I could tell like this was and we yeah. did a, you made a lot of concessions, but this was one where you were like, oh, well, ouch. but I what I needed to understand is that we're under a, a number of constraints. We especially was that the day when people went to the wrong location to start the day, so we were on a shorter day. Yes, I think it was. The so same day, yeah. you know you have to take stuff like that into yeah. account. Yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously there were things that were there were. I was sad that. We couldn't do, but you know, you have to understand the limitations you're under. And you're, and we're done, and we got a crew that would literally be sitting around for an hour yeah, doing yeah. nothing while we waited yeah. for the the sun. Hey, to man, I have to be honest. Like the access I got while we were in production was phenomenal. Like totally. You, oh, it, don't even like. I'm so glad you were there all the time. It meant the it world was, to me because I've talked to other writers who, you know, have multiple features under their belt and who've spent next to no time on yeah, the set maybe a and day uh, i was concerned that me being there was going to put pressure on you in so a cir- the opposite in a circumstance like that though where right. you're like make this change and what's kept how's he going to react and, right, right. you know you, you honestly ne- yeah you never made that a problem but here's yeah. the thing it's the same thing with scott this time it's your movie it was your movie I, that wasn't my movie anymore that was my script but it's your right, movie right. it's it's scott's movie this time it's true like I will argue with Scott about things. <laughs> right, right. Let me rephrase that. Scott and I will passionately discuss things. Right. Heated discussions. But it doesn't make <laughs> it doesn't make me, me right or him wrong or him right it, and quite me the wrong. opposite. Yes, that's what it is. It's uh <laughs> it's 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 a coming to a mutual understanding of what's gonna work best for the circumstances we had. And it hurts to change things that you don't want to change, but you gotta be realistic about it. Right, like right. I would never throw a tantrum because Matt, we're shooting this at night, man. It's, we can't do this during the day. It's just but, not going to happen. But some would say maybe you should because because that was the vision, that was the script. But but and 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 but I think yeah, under under our budget and our constraints, I think you I think the right thing to do yeah is to you know what it just makes more sense to do it this way. You have to do what's right for the movie. Well, right? I just asked you. But when you've got why. millions of dollars, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah sure. that's a, a different completely story. different animal though. Yeah. yeah, and if you can defend it. Then it's different, right? It, but when you really ask yourself why, like why does this have to happen yeah, at night? Yeah, yeah. And if you can defend it, yeah, let's let's wait. Well, I think I had a, a good idea of why it had to, but it it was fine. I understood the 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 need to do it the way we did, and in the end, 
it did work. It might not be the way I thought at the time that it was going to be best work, but it still worked. The thing that was more challenging for me was talking to actors mm-hmm. and they're like, why am I doing this? Why am I saying this? Because a <laughs> lot another of times, reason why, thank God you were there. A lot of, well, yeah, but yeah, that's where it pays to have the whole thing in my head. Right. Because I can explain in the context of the bigger picture why this is happening right now. Right. Because you're shooting out of order. Right. You're shooting bits and pieces. And sometimes things just don't fit together that day well, in your and, head. And I think, I think also, and I would do the same thing. I think actors read for themselves. They're looking, mm. when they, when they're reading, they're looking at what's my character doing? What's, yeah, yeah. what am I? And, and, and maybe not considering the bigger picture until they're in the moment and then thinking, okay, well, what am I here for? Why, why is this happening? Yeah. And, and yeah, to have you there was to, to answer those bigger picture questions. Yeah. It, it so was, good. It was a great experience for me. Like it's, it's also quite the experience to see the things that you have put on that page coming out of people's mouths in I front bet, of cameras. Bet, like, yeah, it's yeah. just like, hey, I wrote that a long time totally. ago. Yeah, that's totally. that's pretty cool. It's a cool yeah. experience. I mean, like I said before, there's high points, there's low points, there's times when it's exhilarating, there's times when it's soul-crushing, but that's what makes it cool, right? Like, it's an experience. Right. right. Yeah. So, I think, as a wrap-up, uh, we, we must talk about your crowning achievement in the film world, that you have been the cook at Maggie's Diner on Heartland. <laughs> <laughs> since season one right like no season no? three season three okay all right yeah. who was the cook in season one and two uh there wasn't one in one season two it was some guy he got fired his name was larry and he got another job and he couldn't come back and i huh. said hey you were out last year as a, a patron at maggie's and i think you also played a uh, a bank teller would you be interested in being the cook i'm like <laughs> what does that mean and they're like well you'd come out you know almost every episode you'd be in the kitchen doing your stuff looking busy i'm like absolutely hell yeah yeah, yeah. do does your character have a name we affectionately, we, the old Wranglers and the old background casting person affectionately used to call me Biff. 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 But right. all of a sudden, after seven seasons in season nine, I had a name tag that said Justin. So oh, the Justin. last three seasons, I've so seasons your name I've been is Justin. Justin. My Justin name is Justin the cook. Justin the cook. What is your favorite meal to fake cook? Do you flip burgers or what do you cook back there? Oh, I flip a lot of burgers. <laughs> so in my kitchen there are pots and pans hanging you can see um condiments and stuff on the the wire metro shelving around me and stuff like that but there's no actual cooking equipment in there right so there's no flat top there's right. no anything. so <laughs> i have a wire rack in front of me and i i have like cloths in there that i'll flip over to pretend i'm flipping burgers oh, nice. and uh i have a clothes pin that I, I will unclip from here and move over here and do like anything that looks like i'm <laughs> this is amazing oh yeah it's yeah, busy work <laughs> yeah, yeah, your own busy, little work. busy work props yeah. Have you ever have you ever uh, ruined a take? I did two days ago, as a matter of oh fact. Oh my For god! <laughs> Do tell. So every once in a while, they'll. So in 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 ten seasons, I've never spoken a line, but every once in a while, they let me ring the bell when the order uh, comes out. Do you get to say orders up? I don't. <clears throat> well, because they'd have to pay you more, wouldn't they? they would have to pay yeah. More. Oh, oh, oh. So, of course, two or three times last year, they're like, "Okay, you're gonna put this burger in, and ring the bell." Two days ago, doing this scene, they're like, okay, put the sandwich up. Mime hitting the bell. So we did it eight times. And on the seventh time, you accidentally rang the bell. I accidentally rang the bell. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, and I, I was like, you would do I such a thing. I just did that. I can't believe you would accidentally ring a bell. You were fake ringing. And you know what? I went, I was back in yesterday doing a second day in a row. And oh, they had the boom operator, <laughs> the sound mixer, 
the first AD, <laughs> one of the cast, and a number of other people made a point of coming by my kitchen and going and moving my yeah. bell out of my reach. And I was like, Amazing. oh, you guys are funny. You That's guys so are funny. funny. I love it. Uh, how many seasons have you have you been doing it now? What is this? Ten. ten. This ten, is season ten twelve. That so you've been doing it. Yeah. Un- yeah. Unreal that that show's going on that long. But yeah, in ten seasons, it's you. You have been perfect, and now of course you're I the blew it. <laughs> yeah, rang the bell. But you know what? It's a, it's fun because I get to go in there and I'm in this little room separated. Well, not I was. Sometimes they have me on the floor. I've had been reading the paper to table eat my lunch sometimes. Oh, but, right. but generally they have me in the the kitchen. Yeah. So I have this little window in the world all by myself. Yeah. And it's great because you know I watch them doing their setups. I watch them doing rehearsals. I watch them doing blocking. I mean, sometimes I go back to holding, but you know, any downtime when I can sit there and watch. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because you it's see a how film school. Yeah. yeah, and you see, I mean, it's a, a, a long-running show where it's a well-oiled machine and only the director is, is, is the part that comes in and out every block. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of variety, but the, all the directors do things that are just a little bit different. Right, it's right, always right. interesting to see how they deal with actors. Some are really all about the performances and some are really all about, you know, whatever. So it's mm. it's interesting to watch as much as I can when I'm not ringing the bell on my mistake. <laughs> So Fantastic. What's, what's next for you in this crazy filmmaking world, apart from bartending? Um, apart from what? Are you going to bartend for a while more? <sighs> if it was up to me, and I don't want to say this one, hopefully no one that I work with will hear this, but <laughs> I wish I would have stopped bartending a long time ago. But honestly, I'm doing the same job for many years and I can go in there, I can do it in my sleep and I can take enough money home to not worry if I'm only working one day on this block of Heartland or right. whatever. Like if I don't right. have a, t- a film or TV gig coming up, I go in, I can bartend, I can go in for four, <laughs> four or five hours in a night and make some cash. And yeah. I don't, I, I don't have to think about it. I'm not stressed because I used to be the, the manager there, but now I'm just a part-time bartender. Totally. So it allows me to do all this other stuff. Right. Someday, I, I really, my yeah. my yeah. girlfriend would be very happy if I didn't work at the right. bar. And so would my body. Because you know what it's like on film sets. Monday I had a, a or yesterday I had a 7.30 a.m. call in High River, which means I'm up at 5.15 or 5.30 yeah. to get out there in time. Right. Well, if I worked in the bar, maybe not the night before, but the two nights ago, yeah. I've done your, that too. Your clock's all messed. Yeah. yeah. Like on a Sunday night, I'll go to bed at, or on a Sunday morning from Saturday night, I'll go to bed at 5 a.m. And then if I have a 7 a.m. call on Monday, that means I'm getting up at 5 a.m. Monday. So in 24 hours, my body's like, what are you doing? Ugh, right. You should be sleeping. I'm yeah. getting up. So yeah, I wish I, I wish I didn't have to, but it's a nice crutch to fall back on when, when things are lean in film and TV. Which happens here in Alberta. Which happens here. And, and that's, a, you know, if I'm not going to do that, does that mean that I have to move somewhere where there's more production. Like, do I go to Vancouver or somewhere where, right. but then you're competing against a hundred times as many people. So it's, true. it's a, it's a, and we wouldn't one. be there. What's that? And we wouldn't be there. Yeah. We're yeah. here. What are you guys doing right now? <laughs> oh man. It's been a tough week. <laughs> it yeah. has been a tough week. No doubt. Yeah. Making movies is really hard. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of rejection and, uh, you know, like it's just, it's just a, it's just a, I literally said it's just a garburator. Uh, you know, you're just sticking your hand in a garburator and hoping yeah. that you can good, survive. But you're, whether it's painful or difficult or not, it's good acquiring the knowledge, like you said, next time 
you would do this different, you would mm. do that different. Mm-hmm. And even you from, yeah, from, totally. from, from, from plain view. Yeah, like, we're, I mean, we're learning so much every day and yeah. you know, Jones in is a whole different movie and we're challenging ourselves in completely different ways. And, you know, with Matt and I switched, um, you know, we're both learning the pain that the other one had to go through on yeah. the last one. So, yeah. Yeah, that's one thing that's been interesting watching you guys, if I may talk about you guys for a while, just with the flip, like you, when Matt was directing Plainview, I remember you in a, in a, in a positive way, maybe not keeping things from Matt, but making sure that. Yeah. Protecting him from. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Like his job, particular when we were in production, his job was to get done that day, what we needed to do. Get us through the day. And you were making sure that there were no outside distractions, distracting him from getting our, our pages done that day. And, you know, I'm sure there were many things that came and went. There were problems that got solved during the course of the day that you probably oh, yeah. didn't no, even know about. No, I still about. Find, find out new things. And now all of a sudden Matt's <laughs> like, hang on a second. Did that happen last time? And why didn't I know about it? Yeah, yeah. 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 For sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, 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 very yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah. It is Which is very kind of Scott. It's a, he's, he, he did it out of love. To, so you're to, not going to return the favor? No, of course not. He's Scott, gonna... this is going sideways. What the hell? <laughs> no, of course it'll it'll happen naturally. Um and, you know, I mean, Matt'll just be the one who, you know, he's the only one there who can go, you know, fix this right now. Yeah. And so, yeah, it'll happen for sure. And and I'll be too focused to, to know about it. Yeah, absolutely. It'll, it'll... No, as it should be. I think a good producer is the one who's facilitating the director to to complete their vision as 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 or at least as close to that vision as possible. That, that's a, that's what a good producer does. Um, and, and that's a lot of shitty work sometimes um so but, does either of you if you were in a different circumstance say you were a a, a, a one-man show mm-hmm. would you knowing what you know now from your experience on plain view and from the way things are going in jones do you think that you would ever tackle a project of the size of what we've been doing on your own as a as a pro- right, writer right. or director producer, right. producer do you think that that's something you would feel comfortable doing i don't I, I, like I've ta- I've talked about this with, with Cameron McGowan. I think I think, uh, and and a number of filmmakers tr- try to do it, especially on the the short film right. level. I couldn't imagine doing it on a on a feature. I, I don't I don't know how you could because it would it wouldn't be fun anymore. Like yeah. the, like the fun of directing is that that you get to work with the actors and be in the moment and shoot the scene and 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 work with the DP and find find out new cool things that that you didn't expect out of the scene while you're shooting it. And if someone's constantly in your ear going well. Uh, where are we going to put the porta potties? Mm. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. I, I guess I'm kind of de- focused on something else right now. I, de- I guess um, it depends on the scale too. Like, we're small, but there are smaller things. Do you guys know Joe Joe Swanberg? You know the Mumblecore stuff, photo? sure. Yeah, so Mumblecore, like Joe Swanberg, used to crank out two movies a year. He was right. director, producer, writer. He was in half of them. Right, right, right. Yeah. Like, I guess it depends on the scale. Something like sure. that, you probably would. But like, like a Jones in size thing, yeah. would you ever want? Not maybe I, not want. I would to, never but, want to. No. Um, yeah. I don't know. I kind of did it with my with my first feature out of high school. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, but you know, you need a fixer. Who's yeah. going to be the fixer when yeah, you're directing? Uh, totally. And like when you have to go to the bank or go to the yeah, exactly. registry or like like how, uh, yeah, I, I, on a, on a on a feature where you've got a crew that's not like a four person crew. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how you could you could do it. Um, I guess people do it though. It's yeah. positive. I I just feel like it would suck all the fun out of directing. Which yeah, is, yeah, I. I and you need like you need um 
that contention in that relationship, right? You need the rock polisher environment to, you know, to get some smooth, smooth stones. (laughs) You need someone who's saying we can't afford that or yes, we can afford that, but you're going to lose this. Yeah. Right. And it's just like the same with the writer and director. You need those two voices. You can call it collaboration or you can call it fighting, you know, and and then then the, the best idea wins. So when you guys were going to do Synapse, which you had written and you were going to direct, yeah, that would, that's going to be a great movie. <laughs> Perfect answer. No, Not it's really true, and that's something. It. And that's something that I that I am missing in synapses is, um, you know, as as a writer, I'm missing Someone that director's voice. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, Matt and I bounce stuff off each other all the time, but it's different. It's just a different. You know, he's he's in a different seat it's a different dynamic so yeah I don't yeah know. with different priorities right like yeah. like yeah i'm yeah I'm, I'm thinking like okay well how can we you know we we need to take a day off of this actor to make the budget work or we need to yeah. to yeah. to take it from 12 locations to six how can we do that like those those are not really story things and they can impede story um so yeah, I mean that's where uh, you know like a like a script editor or story editor yeah. it comes in handy, I suppose. But um, no one knows the story as well as me, right? And that's been a lot of the work that you and I've been doing with Jones and yeah. is diving so friggin' deep into that script that we know it yeah. together, and then we can have those conversations. Yeah, um, yeah, it's been a huge learning experience for me. On so this if and when you guys do synapse, when are you going? When yeah. are you going to continue to? do it with the structure that you have. You're going to write direct. You have no desire to have someone else direct it, I assume. Oh, so, no. No. So, so that stays the way it is. Yep. Why do you ask? You want to direct it? <laughs> no. No, I I would never want to come in on a project you guys have sunk so much time and effort. Do, wait, do you want to direct in general, though? Is it? Well, probably. I think Whoa. So. Okay. So, we, so, I mean, I didn't want to put too much light on it because i know you don't i don't think you love talking about it but you're an actor too like like the 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 cook thing is not just oh i just happen to be in the right place at the right time to get this gig but you are interested in acting and and now directing this is news to me yeah the acting thing since yeah we don't have to talk a lot about it i know just since the writing so the the writing thing is the has become the most important thing by a long haul Mm -hmm. so like i haven't really pursued much the the thing on heartland is is fun and I can watch and learn on set and it's good for getting out there in the, in the community and making connections mm-hmm, and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But I haven't really gone out for a lot of acting things. Someone was trying to push me to uh, audition for something last week, if I remember correctly, but I, I, de- I declined. <laughs> wow, what an honor. So yeah. Pressured right. into auditioning. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, but directing things, I feel the way I feel the way do you do. Like not to say it was soul crushing to have someone else direct plain view, but I think that I don't know. How, you guys both, right? Do you see the movie in your head when you're writing? Of course, of course, totally. So you have to. I have a certain vision of yeah. what the movie is, of course. And yeah. someday I think it would be interesting to see if I could execute that transition from being right. in my head to I, being on screen. I would love to see that happen and just watch you on set. That'd be um, great. Cause you know your story so well, but yeah, I totally get that, that feeling where it's like, would you want someone else to direct synapse? And it's like literally asking me, would you give away your yeah. child? Yeah. Uh, right. And uh, not literally, especially that for project. Words, like, but like, yeah, but you like, wrote that to direct. It's originally. so, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. so close to it. And it means so much to me to, to have someone else direct it would, I'm sure it would be amazing, but, but it would break my heart. And, that's not to say that that's the end of my life, right? Yeah. As you know, you can you can live through heartbreak, and that's okay. Um, so yeah, who knows? 
who knows yeah, never say never i i think the thing for me is i'm not under the impression that i would have been capable at the time to direct plain view i think watching being on set with with plain view every day and watching the way things were unfolding was good for me as a learning experience like i said being on heartland or being on whatever and watching picking up things i i even with jonesen like i don't think i ever thought you know maybe i should maybe i should this is something i should do but uh in the future for sure because i yeah. think i think i think i have the ability to get across to people like crew i think actors i think i think i have the ability at this point to get across what i think they need to express what we need to create i think right. i think i think it would there will come a time but there's a there's a kind of a downside to we were talking about this with with Cameron Chapman on on his episode um you know the path that Scott and I have chosen to take means we're not on set very often because we're trying to get our own projects off the ground we're not really working on other people's projects and even though we might like to we're just not known for that we're we're known for getting our own projects off the ground and so what that means is you know I don't I don't get a lot of time on set like I worked on Heartland in the production office but I haven't really been on that many like sets and been able to watch a director work. Mm-hmm. So in many ways, I think you were, you were probably better prepared than I am or was uh, to direct in that you get a front row seat to yeah. directing all the time. Yeah. Um, that's, that's not something that, that we often get. And then, and, and you know, the, uh, uh, something we talked about with Cam a lot was like the, the distinction between like how much time do you put into other people's projects working on big shows, small shows that, that come here and shoot here um, versus how much time do you put into trying to get your own projects off the ground? And then, and yes, it's great to have your own projects off the, uh, happen, but the downside is you don't get that kind of film school of, mm-hmm. of real life, you know, work that you could be on set doing. Yeah. So. That said, doing it the way you've done it and directing on plain view, you're learning as you're going. Totally. Of course. So hands on, is is just as if not more valuable than observing certainly certainly. there's things you could have watched a hundred directors do and something is going to come up on your set that you've never seen before and you learn how to how to manage that situation so yeah the downside with what we do is it costs thousands and thousands and sometimes millions of dollars so the opportunity to get hands-on with it is rare true shit we got we got a little more personal than we usually do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, sorry. No, 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 no. It's been, I, it's, I think it's it a good. natural extension of, of this podcast. Totally. Having totally. you on and, yeah. you know, we, we try, we try to make it not about us. Um, so it was, you know, we've, we've always kind of wondered when it was time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> cause you know, cause I think we have a lot of, you know, closer friends in this industry that we haven't had on the podcast that might wonder why we're being such assholes and why we don't care about them. <laughs> not that you, not that you've expressed that at all, but, um, no, I certainly have, but I know you felt it, you know, that I was an asshole at least during our heated discussions. Uh, no, yeah. It, it, interesting dynamic. I mean, and I, I hope the audience doesn't mind us indulging in, in our process a little bit. I, I, I hope there's value in it. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, I, I would thank anybody who would listen because it's, uh, it is a, it is a pretty personal experience. The three of us have been through a lot together. Um, and, and I hope that, I hope that it's valuable for people listening. Yeah. It's been val- valuable for me to talk about it. Me as well. Uh, and experience. So, um, where can people find out more about you? Follow you on Twitter? What's the, uh, <laughs> you always cringe at this stuff. And you who do- is Walter Gibson? <laughs> yeah. Walter Gibson doesn't. Exist oh, Walter Gibson's I, dead. I, oh, you no, killed I, that. I Facebook put him to bed. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that was yeah. 
your uh, alias for a while. What's that website I that I've always I've always kind of wanted to use? It's it's not called Blackboard. It's something Letterboxed. Letterboxed. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Do you, do you care to share that or you or you share some reviews? Uh, yeah, my all my little reviews. Well, they all start on Twitter at at KJD Words, and they usually usually copy over onto Facebook, although it doesn't work 100% of the time. Right. And then on Letterboxd, but honestly, this is a terrible thing to say, I don't actually know what my username <laughs> is on, on Letterboxd. I think if you just type in Kevin Dory, it'll come up. So, yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah, if you want to get annoyed at me for reviewing movies, feel free to follow along. And you have a line of steak knives that we should I tell do. everyone about? The, the very steak knives that uh, were the second prize in Glengarry Glen Ross, as a matter of oh, fact. Oh, wow, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Way to bring it back to movies. Um, no, I'm trying to force you into more self-promotion, but I, I, I don't know what else we can... I'm terrible at it. Uh, <laughs> I find it very uncomfortable, <laughs> yes, if you I haven't see, noticed I already. See, I see. Well, we'll put whatever links we can in the show notes, and uh, thank you for being on the show. This is a long time coming. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Alrighty, well, thank you to Mr. Kevin Dory, and uh, please do check out the show notes. Um, we we did put some links in there for uh, some more info uh, around Kevin and his work and uh, his wonderful movie reviews. So check those out. Um, now, before we get into the news you can use, we always love to hear from our uh, sponsor, Bleeding Art Industries, and this week is no exception. Uh, here's a message from them. They're saying many people say. They want nothing to do with politics or the government. In last week's cabinet shuffle, Minister Melanie Jolie, who oversaw the Creative Canada Policy Framework, was moved to tourism, official languages, and La Francophonie, and, uh, and Pablo Rodriguez was appointed the new Minister of Heritage and Multiculturalism. Although this change is not apt to alter policies in the short term, he may put his own stamp on the industries in which we work. As filmmakers, we're fortunate to be able to access provincial and federal funding for the content we create. This financial support, adherence to municipal regulations, and other government-related issues all point to the fact that being informed about all three levels of government is important. There's no need to get into the nitty-gritty political battlefield to be aware of what's going on, but knowing who the players are and what's happening in all three levels of government is simply the smart thing to do. That's a great point. Totally agree. Yeah, it's... Um, uh, Yeah, like like they say, like it or not, it's really something you, you should keep an eye on. Yeah, and I feel like you know, as we get deeper into uh, our own careers, we're we're discovering how you know a mix up like this can really affect us, you mm-hmm. know, every day, and, and and how you have to shift your strategy as a filmmaker to getting your projects made in Canada, because um, yeah, the government's outlook on film is so important. Totally, and and I think the only constant is change. I mean, you know, I remember when I kind of first became aware that oh, our, our okay, the Minister of Culture and Heritage is the one who oversees our world here in Alberta, the film world. Okay. And that's this person. All right, great. And now since, since that person, uh, was in that position, I think it has changed five times. And that, I think that sounds about right. It's yeah. about over was 10, it Lindsay Blackett 10 years, Lindsay Blackett. Yeah. Who was yeah. there for quite a while. Yeah. Sure. Um, and then there was a lot of government shakeup and then there was a new yeah. government and then there right. were, you know, n- you know, new minister, even within the, the new NDP government. So, uh, and, and I think Harper did a, a cabinet mix up one time as well. And, and, and this position has has certainly changed uh, a number of times. So, yeah, I mean, I think we all just have to prepare to to be ready for the change and, and know that it's it's happening and insulate ourselves from it as much as possible. How crazy is that? That like you can suddenly, you know, be in charge, you know, you're in charge of culture and then and then and heritage. And then suddenly now, you know, you're not you're in charge of tourism uh, and official languages and la francophonie. 
it's like, okay, well, good thing I'm an expert in all of this. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and naturally Stuff. there's going to be a learning, a learning curve for, for, you know, the federal level and the provincial level, uh, for all that stuff. And that's, True. and that was what was frustrating, I think for, um, understandably some of the, some of the veterans of the industry that I've, I'd spoken with is that every time that role changes, you have to do a new, you have to do a new tour and a new invitation right. and a new set of meetings and, and try to get them up to speed on how our industry works. And that's, but unfortunately that's just how it is. Oh, totally. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's part of, part of an industry that is so heavily reliant on government for financing. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's just, yeah, the name of the game. But what I'm most impressed with, Matt, is that you said Pablo Rodriguez's name <laughs> just right the first time. No, it was Skype that was causing those issues. I'm oh, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you had it fine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so there, uh, there are some upcoming deadlines that we'd love to get into. Um, this one's called the Adventure Filmmakers Workshop, and it's an exceptional chance for independent and emerging filmmakers to advance their skills under the guidance of two of the world's premier and proven adventure filmmakers. Uh, cool. So it's a jam-packed 10 days coming this fall, and you can hone your craft, strengthen your skills, and network and mingle with fellow filmmakers, industry insiders, and decision makers. Uh, and this happens within the core of the Banff Center Mountain Film and Book Festival. Uh, participants will have full access to festival events uh, and hang out with the people there. So they have workshops, um, hands-on practice, lively discussions, brainstorming sessions, um, evenings that include screenings, guest speakers, and social events. Wow, this is really cool. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so it was designed for filmmakers. This, this workshop, and to get the most from it, applicants should have a strong desire to take the next step in all aspects of their filmmaking, including pre-production, pitching, location skills, uh, the handling of the edit and distribution. Uh, it's not aimed at those who only want to explore what it is like to be an adventure filmmaker. The Adventure Filmmakers Workshop is for those who are committed to filmmaking as a life choice. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So enrollment is limited to 24 participants, uh, and to find out more about the workshop and to apply, uh, check out the link in the show notes, or you can, you can visit bamfcenter.ca, uh, and find out more information about this. And speaking of adventure filmmakers, the Banff mountain film competition is, is kind of the, I mean, the only festival I know of that is, is really all about catering to that kind of filmmaker. Um, and, uh, of course that is happening, uh, October 27th to November 4th. Um, and they are seeking submissions for, uh, it's actually film and book festival and, um, they're, they program, uh, you know, competitive, uh, it's a competitive event that programs, uh, the best films and books on the mountains and the spirit of the adventure of adventure from around the world to the mountain town of Banff, Alberta. So you can apply through film freeway, um, and films must align with the festival's outdoor adventure themed categories. And for more information, you can check out the film freeway submission link in the show notes. Super cool. Yeah. I think I have a fear of commitment. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, I don't know why, like the whole, um, adventure filmmakers workshop was talking about, you have to be committed to filmmaking as a life choice. And I was like, fuck you. Um, <laughs> even though I totally am, but I yeah. but don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what I, what I am and what I'm not. Uh, yeah. So I just realized, uh, had a life profound, life changing realization just as we're recording wow. this live on uh, air. <laughs> so, uh, the CSAF has, um, a, a variety of different grants, um, and they're all, um, kind of, uh, CSAF bucks or, uh, in kind, um, from the CSAF working access workshops, equipment, 
uh, rentals um, or facilities. Um, and they, they distribute these in different sort of categories or tiers, basically, depending on who the filmmaker is, who, who's applying and specifically, you know, do they have a, do they come from a diverse background or a minority background, um, or not? So they're, they're, uh, they have one called the filmmakers in search of a home fund it's called the fish fund. Um, and it's, uh, designed to help developing independent filmmakers produce their film by providing technical services and support. Uh, you can get $2,000 in access to CSIF's equipment and facilities, um, there's of course also the cultural equity fund and that's for minority artists. They also have the indigenous voices fund and the LGBTQ fund. Um, so all of those uh, are due by August 1st, which is coming right up. So, uh, definitely recommend checking those out and, uh, they are often, often undersubscribed in totally. these funds, which yeah. is a bit of a hint. No doubt. Um, you know, if you want some, uh, I mean, Matt and I, you know, we tapped into the fish fund, uh, when we were first starting and it was a great way to get, uh, I think it was our third short film made. Yeah. So, yeah. So definitely encourage everyone to check those out and apply, apply, apply. Uh, we have chatted about this uh, at length, so I'll, I'll be brief about it. But just a reminder that the deadline to apply for the NSI Totally Television program is August 13th. So if you've been working on a, a TV idea and developing it a little bit, um, this is a great opportunity to uh, get on the fast track of developing your property and getting it in front of some really important people who can help uh, make it become a, a, a real thing, a real pilot, a real series. So check out the link in the show notes and uh, and uh, apply, apply to that program for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. Can't, can't overstate how important that program is. No doubt. Um, so K-Days, uh, as part of the Edmonton Detroit Film Festival, is having a free 48-hour mobile film challenge uh so using your mobile phone um they uh, the short film festival is part with northlands and k days for a three-day mobile device based filmmaking event at the festival this year uh, you'll be given three elements to be included in their film uh on july 20th with both a marketing and a production challenge to compete in oh that's cool all completed and eligible films will be screened at the short film festival and k days on july 29th with the top two the best marketed film appearing at the short film festival gala in october uh, you do have to pre-register uh, you can find out more at esff.ca uh, and register for uh, to do that because those, those are so fun and, and so valuable from just learning but also fun uh, perspective yeah and it's uh, it's definitely a cool oppor- uh, opportunity we're we're, uh, we're late uh, to the game on this one uh, just because I think they've already shot them, but uh, you can screen them soon, uh, or you can oh see them. Oh my god! Soon. Of course, we, yeah. Uh, but what a cool idea! And hopefully, they do it again next year. So keep your eyes open for it. Oh right. I, okay. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, I think the films are either available now almost uh, because you had to make them so quickly, or or you will be able to see them very soon. So check it out. Uh, the Fava Summer uh, the Fava Summer Party uh, is is happening August seventeenth. Yay, um, summer! <laughs> from six p.m. to midnight in the Ortona Room and the Courtyard Barbecue uh, in the car- Courtyard area, uh, and it's going to be a barbecue and a potluck. Uh, admission is free, and uh, it is the annual summer barbecue for the membership, uh, where uh, you want to come and uh, hang out with uh, some wonderful filmmakers in the Edmonton area. Um, there will be burgers and veggie burgers available, and they do encourage you to bring your favorite homemade or store-bought dish. And as always, they'll be unveiling the results of the Super 8 Challenge, which is very cool. Uh, you're going to get to watch some uh, some films made by some filmmakers who uh, I think I think the deal is you have you, you you have a single roll of film and you have to make a film and uh, it's all in camera edited on Super right, 8. So yeah. uh, they'll be screening those there. Super fun. Yeah, uh, Fab is really good about screening their workshop stuff. Um, 
because they also have two, they're, they're both of their main sort of workshops. They have the video kitchen uh, and the main course, mm-hmm. uh, and they're screening um, the, the products of both of those workshops uh, coming right up here. So um, the video kitchen screening is happening um, tomorrow as we record this, July 28th at 3.30 p.m. Uh, admission by donation that's happening at the Metro Cinema. Um, and then the main course screening is happening on August 5th at 4 p.m. again at the Metro Cinema. Admission to both is by donation, and uh, you should go check those out. Yeah, very cool. Um, we're now jumping into the upcoming workshops and classes phase of, uh, of the news you can use here. And uh, uh, there is one uh, that is on the list here that has actually already passed. The Alberta Media Fund did come and swing by uh, Calgary, and um, we we were able to uh, get some time with Jeslin uh, at the at the Alberta Media Fund. Um, but you know, if you're interested in learning more, they're always open to uh, questions, so you can always kind of schedule totally. your own meeting. Um, uh, you may yeah, have absolutely. to go to Edmonton to make it happen if you're in Calgary, but uh, I'm sure uh, you can make your own little uh, Q&A session happen if you'd like to. Yeah, and you know, it's always worth sending them an email um, just to develop a relationship there. Um, this is, I mean, this is the first official session that we've ever gone to. Yeah, that's true. But we've met with them many times um, just sure. to ask them how the whole program works, so they're they're open to it and up for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so Faba is hosting an intro to lighting workshop this weekend, July 29th from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. It is free for all Faba members, although there are only eight spots maximum. So uh, you should get in touch with Faba uh, presently if you want to participate in that workshop and learn more about lighting. Cool. Uh, and the monthly set at a kitten protocol, uh, workshop in Calgary is happening again, uh, on what is that? I guess August 2nd, August, yeah, August two. Um, for, of course. Yeah. Uh, with Gail Kennedy, of course, instructing and, uh, uh, price of $40 and uh, yeah, just, uh, we met with Gail recently and, and she was telling us she, she has a lot of fun with this, uh, with this course. So, uh, it's probably yeah, a, just, a good time. She, she does like some game show esque Yeah. Trivia. She like, she hands out candy. She makes it a lot of fun. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, it definitely makes me want to go get a refresher. Yeah. I like candy. <laughs> Uh, so do I. <laughs> uh, the CSAF is hosting their annual summer media arts camp uh, this round with Yvonne Abusso. It's happening August, uh, uh, the second week in August, so it starts Monday, August 13th to Friday, August 17th uh, from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. every day. But the registration deadline is coming up on August 8th. Uh, so you have to be um, youth aged 15 to 18. Uh, and it's kind of an introduction to the filmmaking process. And I think you go from nothing to having a finished film by the end of the week. And of course, you learn a lot of great stuff by doing that. So you can check out CSIF.org for more information about that workshop. And it's, again, it's called the Summer Media Arts Camp. Uh, and we were talking a little bit before about the Totally Television program. The, the sister program at the NSI is called the Features First program. Uh, that deadline is a little bit further away on September 14th, um, but it is coming up. So good to know about it. Um, it's uh it's something that we maybe should do like a like a a whole episode on we could maybe have scott yeah, on really and, and sandy and find out oh, what God, should get shelly like. on yeah yeah totally yeah even better yeah um and so yeah we'll so look for that we'll do we'll do kind of an in-depth uh episode all about this course because we you know it really changed our lives and uh you know definitely apply we want to we want to make sure we have a good you know not everybody's going to get in but we want to show them that Alberta has some filmmakers who are interested in in uh, being a part of uh, that program. So if we yeah, if we absolutely. can get a, a strong number of applications in, that may say, hey, geez, maybe we should maybe we should look at Alberta a little bit more. You know, the more applications uh, that there are, the more demand we show that there is. So that, that's a good thing. 
Yeah, even an application has value. And I mean, we uh, didn't get in our first time. That's right, yeah. We had to apply twice, so uh, don't be discouraged. But the, the, the key point here is that the applications are being accepted until September 14th, which is just under uh, two months. Um, but you have to apply with a feature-length script. So if you've got an idea and you're just about ready to start writing you know, your first feature, um, now would be the time to kind of start. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. you know, that's get some whipped point, up. Yeah. So that that's, you, that's why they announced the deadline so far in advance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, let's move on to what's shooting Scott. Sure. Uh, yeah. Tin star, uh, is, is almost wrapped. I think this will be their last week coming up here, August 3rd, uh, which is super exciting. Uh, East Texas oil, which is a new, uh, feature, uh, just has, I think one more week. Um, Oh, that's with Kevin Sorbo, right? Yeah, that that's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Black Summer, which is a, the, the Netflix digital series, is now uh, has now gone to camera, and they will be uh, shooting until September 28th. Heartland, of course, continues their eternal march, uh, also wrapping on September 28th. Uh, Zed, or it might be Z, uh, this is Chris Ball and Kurt Harder who are putting this uh, feature film together, shooting right now. I think they're actually doing night shoots, so it might be like right now. Um, yeah. And they're going until August 17th. Uh, and there is a Disney movie coming too i can't remember what it's called though. yeah i keep hearing about it but i haven't heard anything solid yet tell us about that it's called oh fuck what's it called front no frontline no it's not like that anyway uh oh and then there's another movie on here called jones and uh, which will be starting to shoot in september i've heard of that one yeah i've heard of it too uh, i know a little <laughs> bit about it uh, but we'll have more details as that gets closer yes uh, well, the CSIF is looking for a new executive director, Scott. Uh, this is a full-time permanent position reporting to the board of, the, of directors and is actually a really, um, yeah, it's a really um, big job. There's a, there's a, a multifaceted is the word I'm looking for. There's, a, there's big expectations uh, for this person and you have some big shoes to fill. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Barry, you know, Barry's done a killer job at the CSIF. Absolutely. Um, if you want to, if you want a bit of a leg up, you might want to listen to his episode of the podcast because oh, you can get some insight sure. into what he does there. Totally. But um, what he's also done, I think he's 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 steered the ship, and he's kind of into a direction that uh, I think is is going to be very fruitful. So yes, you got big shoes to fill, but you're also in good hands as far as where the organization is right now. That's true. Yeah. And I think uh, it's a position that you can really find some success and. Uh, really stretch your legs and challenge yourself um, and and make a huge difference in the Calgary film community for sure. And there's such a great board. There's just an it amazing. Is handsome. <laughs> just so, so handsome. Um, so check out uh, the link in the show notes if you're interested in learning more about that position. Um, it is uh, about 35 uh, hours a week and a salary range from 45 to 55K. Uh, deadline to apply, uh, or sorry, no. Wait, do you know the deadline to apply? There is no deadline. No, there is no deadline. It's basically, uh, okay. Well, maybe there is, but it says, or yeah, or sooner. Yeah. So July 29th or sooner if if a suitable. Yeah. Yeah. They're hoping to hire, um, by mid August. So uh, you should probably send that in right away here. Yeah. True enough. Um, excellent benefits package too. Uh, yeah, that's right. Excellent benefits package. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so if that job doesn't interest you, but you are looking for a job, there are multiple job postings, uh, through the Calgary international film festival, uh, artistic director specifically is a huge one. Um, ushers, projectionists, bartender supervisors, um, all of these are coming up uh, on August 1st or end of July for applications. So you can find out more at calgaryfilm.com. All righty. Uh, so let's jump into our recommendations as we wrap up the, this episode. We were prepped this week. 
Yes, yes, we thought ahead. That's on you. (laughs) Uh, And uh, I'm not the best with mental math. I'm not a I'm not a huge math guy, but I do I do like working with numbers. I do get a kick out of uh, you know a balanced budget. I do I do like the the you know inferences and and extrapolations you can make based on numbers. (laughs) And I know that you went through this budget. You like to call uh, you know a film budget uh, a story that the budget itself tells a story. Um, and that's so true. I mean, there's a lot, uh, there's a lot to actually be enjoyed about, you know, budgeting and, and financial structures. And, um, and I would just encourage people not to be afraid of that. Um, because it can be quite satisfying when, uh, when everything works out and you have your ducks in a row. So I would encourage, uh, yeah, yeah. my recommendation, become a math nerd. (laughs) Learn Excel. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, yeah, it's so funny. The scariest part about budgeting is is when you first opened it and you have no numbers. Yeah, for sure. You know, but it gets easier and easier as you enter more and more numbers. Um, you know, you just kind of iron it up. No, this is so this is so awesome. Uh and, and something that I really enjoy is you and I switching roles. <laughs> um and our recommendations are changing appropriately, yeah, which is really sure. cool. For sure. Um and mine is less of a you know producer thing and more of just a uh just a meeting thing. You know, it's a relationships industry and what better place to build um a relationship than at a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Coffee shops are a nice chill place. Everyone can get, you know, a fun drink. Uh, and it's, you know, no pressure environment, um, where you can have some great conversations. I would say most of our meetings happen at coffee shops mm-hmm. and, uh, let's recommend a few. So my favorite is higher ground. Uh, it's in Kensington. Yeah. And if you don't know about it, you must, it's a local coffee shop. Um, their coffee's great. They got a great atmosphere, um, fast Wi-Fi, And, uh, I really love hanging out there. Yeah, Wi-Fi is so important. It is. Um, so important. There's a there's a Rosso Coffee Roasters that opened up near my place uh, in Tuxedo. So, oh, that's a good one. I yeah. like to go to that one a lot. And, um, and Weeds is the other. Weeds, Seems to be a lot yeah. of film people there too. Yeah, yeah. So Weeds is in the northwest of Calgary. And uh, what are some coffee shops in Edmonton, Matt? Oh, Edmonton. Um, yeah, good question. You'd think I would know. Uh, you've, been at, you've been at a few up there. Um, yeah. Uh, shoot. Um, there's there was one off White Avenue that we met yeah, Dylan Pierce at. That's awesome. Is, that, is it 1912? I think it's called, uh, or the, it was. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, but but 17th Ave has quite a few, and of course, there's you know just your average Starbucks and. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I'm trying to think of um, something a little bit more independent that's not uh, just a, a chain or. A, yeah, maybe maybe people can uh, let us know on Twitter um, if you're in Edmonton. What's your favorite cop? Oh, uh, the one I meet up at, at a lot when I am there is. Uh, is the remedy? Yes, of course. Which is right across the street from the Garneau Theater, um, and it has been for years. But then recently, they started to open up uh, a bunch of new locations. So they have one downtown. They have one on One Twenty Fourth, and uh, they've got like a. They do some great food. Um, so they've got like this tiny one on White that just serves food to go, sort of thing. Um, yeah, and I like to call it the Rem, but uh, that's because I'm oh. a loser that never caught on. Oh, I always, really I always try. Hey, let's meet at the REM. And people are like, what's the REM? And I'm like, damn it. This didn't catch on before I left Edmonton. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there was one cold Lake, man. I went to a coffee shop in cold. Lake. Seth and I shot a video there. Yeah. And it was incredible. It looked cool um, from what I saw. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the name of it, but hmm. fuck, it was like, I wish we had something like that in Calgary. It was so cool. It was like chill and just beautifully decorated. And, and, uh, 
you know, we could turn our camera in any direction and, uh, you know, it was doing our work for us, making yeah, it look great. It almost looked like kind of like a library feel. There was sort of like a, but like an upscale, cool, modern, um, I just felt, were there books everywhere? Or am I making that up? Yeah, no, oh. there were, there was like a okay. library in the back. Okay. Got um, it. yeah, it was very cool. Alrighty. Well, uh, thank you so much to Briar, Chad, Britt, and Seth, the people who make this podcast possible every week. And of course, uh, thank you to our sponsors um, and to the Alberta filmmaking community. This is a podcast for you about you. So let us know if you have anything uh, you'd like us to share. Um, oh, actually, uh, you know what? Speaking of sharing something, why don't we play the the trailer for Cyborgs <gasps> right now? They've given us permission to just pop that in. So here it is. Soon our world will be threatened by the most evil man ever known. I'm a bad boy and I love breaking all the rules. He possesses an ancient relic. Push the button. He has an army at his command. And he wants to conquer yes. the universe. It's happening. It's happening. Too bad there's one team of heroes that can stop him. Ricky Blaze. I'm going to crank up the heat. Rolling Thunder. Gotcha. Frank Bladecon. If I cut in. Deutsch. Encryption is pretty intense. I can only give you 15 seconds of blackout. And John Carvin. <laughs> Let him go, Slippy Slappy. Now all it takes is some sharp skills, some psychic strength. And a whole buttload of justice. Tray, 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 justice. <laughs> it's a lot of rope. It's beautiful! <laughs> the world is over as we know it! Ultimate power will finally be ours. The sky's <laughs> the limit. Don't you mean that the sky's the limit? <laughs> We gotta stop. <laughs> they are the cyborgs. Save your stories for the sorry people of Loser Town. Because when we bake for charity, we're all winners. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Coming soon. Right, on the way out, in the mid-extra, we're going to play the uh, the trailer. But that was pretty cool. That's, that sounds so exciting. And looks like they're already having some some success getting it out into the world. And I'm excited to see the whole uh, the whole thing. It sounds pretty funny. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm really enjoying following that whole uh, production. Totally. Uh, okay, so if you, we got anything wrong or if we missed anything, uh, do let us know. You can reach us um, at email is probably the best, hello at abfilmcast.ca. Yes. Uh, and that's been pretty active lately, actually. People have been starting to finally reach out, I think, because... Uh, we're encouraging people to do it more. Mm-hmm. Please do it. Um, you know, let us know what's going on. This is becoming a, you know, a bit of a hub for communication in the industry. And it's a great way to uh, say hi and, and let people know what's going on with you. Yeah. And it's, and it's not to toot our own horn, but like, man, we got to be better marketers. And this is just a free place for you to, to show off your film, talk about your film, drive some, some ears uh, to whatever it is you're up to. So um, it's, you know, we're, we're here to support you. So, so just let us know about it. Yeah, absolutely. And if here's my challenge to you, if you're listening and you're like, oh, I don't have anything to talk about. Um, and you're feeling like you're not a real filmmaker. That's called imposter syndrome. 
you should look it up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a real syndrome and you probably have it. Uh, and I, I bet you, you are a real filmmaker. Okay. So yeah, don't be scared. We're not going to be assholes or bite your head off. For sure. Um, and if you don't want to email us, you can reach us, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or SoundCloud. And it's all, um, at AB Filmcast. And of course, subscribe uh, to the podcast on iTunes and give us those sweet, sweet five-star ratings. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, uh, to, again, to our sponsors. Let's listen to one final message from the Alberta Post-Production Association. And after you listen to that, go make something. <laughs> it worked. The Alberta Filmmakers Podcast is proudly sponsored by APA, the Alberta Post-Production Association. APA represents technical and creative professionals working behind the scenes in editing, sound, and visual effects. Our members live here in Alberta and support producers with expertise in picture editing, color grading, graphic design, compositing, audio post, music scoring, and so much more. For more information about post-production, visit APA online at albertapost.org.